0: David, who is the author of this psalm, was very familiar with the wild animals that would come to attack the flock, to tear and destroy, and calling on God to strike them on their jaws and leave their teeth all shattered, is to remove the ability that they have to commit violence against his flock, to destroy and to tear and to kill. And for Paul, this would have been very similar, very close to his mind, we'll come to See this as we come to Acts chapter 23, the verses 1 to 11, and you'll be able to find that on page 1284. The spiritual forces of darkness have lined up against him, inciting wicked men to oppose him. The Apostle Paul is a missionary here, and he has been arrested by the Jews, and he has been brought before them to be called to account for this gospel message which he's spreading. Acts 23, the verses 1 to 11. And this lays the groundwork for the time that he spends in prison from where he writes this letter to the Philippians. So we read here the word of God. Then Paul, this apostle and missionary, looking earnestly at the council, these leaders of the Jews, he said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? And those who stood by said, do you revile God's high priest? Then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the assembly was divided. For Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit, but Pharisees confess both. Then there rose a loud outcry and the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Now, When there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. But the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified before me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. And it's with this promise on his heart that we move to the next reading, chapter 25, the verses 1 to 12, where the Apostle Paul is resting on this promise that he will witness in the same way in Rome. Now, when Festus had come to the province, Festus is a governor in here, a Roman governor, after three days he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul, and they petitioned him, asking a favor against him, that he would summon him to Jerusalem, while they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea, and he himself was going there shortly. Therefore he said, let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man. To see if there is any fault in him. And when he had remained among them more than 10 days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. When he had come, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. While he answered for himself, neither against the law, Of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I offended in anything at all. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? So Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat, where I ought to be judged. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you very well know. For I am, if I am an offender... Or have committed anything deserving of death. I do not object to dying. But if there is nothing in these things. Of which these men accuse me. No one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus. When he had conferred with the council. Answered. You have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you shall go. Now we come to our text today. Paul has indeed been sent to Caesar, to Rome, and if you continue in the book of Acts, he suffered much along the way. He was even shipwrecked for a time, and yet he managed to, by God's grace, safely arrive in Rome, and it's from Rome now, having faced all these opponents, that he is writing to these Philippians, to the Philippian church. We'll begin at verse 12, which you can find on page 1348, 1 verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happen to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. The word of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in our passage today we come before Paul in a very difficult situation. He's been arrested and he's come through all of these difficulties, finally appealing to Caesar and he's being held for trial right now before Caesar. This would mean that he is placed in house because They didn't have much in the way of modern prisons that we have today. So he would have been placed in a house under arrest. He would have been chained to a Roman soldier. And we learn from elsewhere that he would have been allowed to have some way of uh, visitors in the meantime. So people from the church in Rome have been coming to him and speaking to him and encouraging him at this time as well. And he himself has been able to be an encouragement to other Christians in the city of Rome here. But all the same, he's sitting there and he's chained. And his future is uncertain. He's in a place where his adversaries are many. And yet, he's still able to be content. He's able to be happy even. If you look at the letter of the Philippians, and and you read it through and through. This is one of the most joy-filled letters in the entire New Testament. It's just soaked with joy. Considering where he finds himself, how is this possible? Today, I preach to you God's word under the following theme, Paul's Missionary Report, Part 1. We'll look at the first section of his Missionary Report, the Gospel Unchained, We'll see, first of all, that this is a report with a background. Second, that he has a captive audience. And third, fellow believers unchained. So as Paul writes this letter to the Philippian church, it becomes clear that this is indeed a missionary report that he is writing to them. At least the first part of it is. This Philippian congregation has been faithfully supporting his work up to this point in time. And he writes to them, not only out of his debt of love for them, but he wants to give them a report on the gospel message that's gone out. The results of their support, the fruit of their labors. They have been working so hard, and they have been sending him money as well to support him. And he wants them to know what's been going on. What's the result of that? And in that sense, it's no different from many missionaries that we have today, is it? We get reports from, for example, in, uh, in Quebec, Reverend Bedard in St. George. He'll come here and he'll grant reports or next week I'll be heading out there along with Brother Van Toll and we'll be hearing from their report. But the Apostle Paul has an added reason for wanting to write them this letter. He's currently writing this report from prison, as we saw. And many of them had begun to fear that this would put a damper on his gospel efforts. And so he wants to write to them, encouraging them to tell them that this isn't the case at all. In the first place, it's given him the opportunity to speak to a whole new pagan audience. And in the second place, it's also served to build up the Christian church. And those are two things that we'll be looking at in particular today But before we get into that, I want to point out something else especially. The Apostle Paul hasn't always been so upbeat about his imprisonment and his sufferings for the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8, he speaks about the way that he felt prior in the face of sufferings. You know, sometimes we can get this picture of the Apostle Paul that we think he's, he's pretty much a superman. All of the, the, the opposition that he faced, but not just the opposition, the beatings, he was shipwrecked, he was stoned even. We think of him as some, some kind of spiritual superman, that he's, he's got to be so much better than any of us today here, right? And yet in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8, he spoke about despairing even of life itself at times, during his many sufferings. And in Colossians 4 verse 2, he asks the Colossian church to pray for him while he is in chains. That a door would be opened for him to share the gospel, that opportunity would be given to him because he himself is in a situation in which he sees no fruit. He sees nothing coming out of this situation that he's in. Now there's two things that I want you to notice about this. And this is important for us as Christians today. The first is the progression that we see here. The Apostle Paul is not just placed in this position and suddenly he is this way. There's a progression that happens. And the second is the focus that the apostle Paul has here. So in the first place you can see that as Christians we often think that the apostle Paul did have it all together. He was able to rejoice in his sufferings because he was a good Christian, but me in my situation, how am I supposed to be able to be to, to be able to rejoice? But for Paul he didn't go into prison thinking that he had it all together he struggled and there were times when it was difficult for him to come to terms with everything for him this was a gradual process he prayed and he brought his sufferings and troubles before god and god encouraged him and where he himself wasn't able to see a way to see a way towards fruit where he himself couldn't see the way that this was working out for good, he asked other people to pray for him that they could see this work out for good. He asked to be lifted up by the prayers of the Colossians. And only then when he saw God answering those prayers and opening the way for Christ to be proclaimed did he start to truly rejoice in his chains. He didn't start where he was. He struggled. He sorrowed. And yet, even in his sorrow, God gradually was able to give him increasing joy in Christ because his sufferings led to the salvation of others. Now, the thing is that we ourselves aren't in prison for the sake of Christ. And hopefully, Lord willing, this will not be the case in our country. But regardless of that, we still encounter those things in our lives which speak of the chains of sin under which this world is groaning. In Romans 8, verse 22, we read of how all creation is is groaning under the weight of the sin of mankind, groaning as if in childbirth, it says. So it speaks of all creation being under the weight of chains. You can have this picture. The effects of sin on this broken world are all around us in, in disease and in disasters, in, in shocking news and sudden deaths and so much more. Now, we know that we ourselves, by God's grace, have been set free from the chains of sin itself. And we, by God's grace, through Jesus, have our eyes fixed on eternity, but will still experience the pain of living in a world which is waiting for deliverance. So what do we do in the meantime? The Apostle Paul looks to see how he can glorify Christ. The question for the Apostle Paul here is not, how can I be delivered? How can I get away from all of this? although he does rejoice in deliverance as a gift from God. But his question is, who do I hold to in my suffering? Who do we hold to as we see the weight of sin in this world? We experience the effects of this broken world, beloved. Do we look to Christ? If we hold fast to Christ as our only comfort in life and death, then Christ will be glorified even in our suffering. And his name will be lifted up. But we must first look to Christ and ask for help in looking to him. Pray for those, ask those around us to pray for us in our time of need. If we find our only hope and comfort in Christ Jesus... Then he'll shine all the more brightly in our darkest hours. He'll shine all the more brightly in our sufferings and he'll grant us courage and hope. And the natural outcome of that, that courage and hope that we are given, is the glory of Christ. And those who are around us will see his glory reflected in our faces and in our lives as we look to him in hope. And then we will be able to affect others. By our response in suffering, in the face of death, of loss, of grief, others will see where our comfort lies in our hour of need. But more than that, others will see where we want them to find that same comfort. So, what's our desire first and foremost? Let it be that we hold fast to Christ in these hours. And where Christ is glorified in our suffering, God can use it to draw others near. The fruit that bringing glory to Christ, even in our times of greatest need, the fruit that this will bear will be beautiful. And the beautiful fruit of exalting Christ in his own suffering, of being able to look to Christ for every moment to supply his need, bears fruit for the Apostle Paul in two ways. And the first way is this, the captive audience. So what follows the Apostle Paul's initial statement here is something that's actually quite remarkable. The guards who are given the task of watching over him were members of the Praetorian Guard. Now, some have suggested that these were imperial troops stationed perhaps in the city of Caesarea. Uh, this, is, this is actually unlikely that it's in the city of of Caesarea. The situation here seems to point more strongly to an imprisonment in Rome. But either way, what this means is that these guards, they're members of the Praetorian Guard, and the Praetorian Guard was Caesar's own personal bodyguard. These men were men who had been tasked to Guard prisoners who have appealed to Caesar. These guards would have been watching over the Apostle Paul in four-hour shifts. And in the time that the Apostle Paul was in Rome, he would have cycled through much of the praetorian guard that was stationed there. And because this is the case, it's become evident to the entire guard why the Apostle Paul has been placed in chains. More than that, everybody else who he comes into contact with, he says, not only the whole palace guard, but to all the rest, they have also come to the awareness that his chains are in Christ. Paul is a prisoner because he believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. For him, it doesn't matter that he's being locked up, he, he desires to share the gospel with everyone within his sphere of influence, even in jail, every single one of them knows and has been brought to know that he is a Christian. This is something for us to think about as well. You may reflect on the fact that, yes, okay, I have found my comfort in Jesus Christ. And I love him. And I want to follow him. And I see that there are people around me in this world who who are struggling. But I don't have much influence in other people's lives. I see their need, but I I don't have much influence in other people's lives. Well, you, you may think that you don't have much influence at all, but the fact of the matter is that wherever you go, you have a sphere of influence. And the Apostle Paul shows us if this is true even in prison, how much more is it true in any other situation? In your own family? In your group of friends? When you go to work? When you speak out in the world? When you go to different, different groups, different exercise clubs, wherever you go? Wherever in life that you go, you have a sphere of influence. Another thing to notice here in verse 13 is that the Apostle Paul says that my chains are in Christ. Now in other translations you might see this translated as my chains are for Christ or perhaps I have been chained for Christ. And the Greek here could have used a word that literally meant he had been chained for Christ or on behalf of Christ. But it says you're chained in Christ in our translation today. This is a word, a Greek word that could have both meanings, which is why you find it both ways in various translations. And the very fact that this word is ambiguous and can be translated both ways that Paul chose this word when he could have chosen another word that was more clear is, I believe, deliberate on his part. He is saying, I am a man who is in Christ. And my chains are a visible manifestation. A visible picture which anyone can see proving that fact. His chains are a visible picture of his being bound to Christ. His belonging to Christ in a way. For the apostle Paul to be found in Christ is considered the highest honor and because of that these very chains are not a reason for shame but they're a reason for rejoicing. His very suffering gives people the opportunity to ask him why he is suffering and why he doesn't simply give in and the news spreads. Now certainly Not all the Praetorian guard was converted. But none of them could walk away without having known Christ. They might have looked at him as somebody who had little influence. They might have looked at him as somebody who was rather unimpressive. Someone who was, in fact, to be scorned because he was sitting there in chains. And yet none of them could walk away not knowing that he found his comfort in Christ. That he held fast to Christ by God's grace. That he found joy in Christ. None of them could walk away without knowing who Paul's Lord and Savior was. Because that was what held him up during his imprisonment. What gave him strength during his imprisonments. Paul's chains became an opportunity to witness, to share the gospel. While Paul himself may have been chained, the gospel was unchained. The gospel made unfettered progress. It was the audience that was captive. Initially, Paul's chains was a reason for sorrow for the people of Philippi but they became a reason for joy. Originally, the questions were, what would other believers think? What would, this, would this make people fearful to confess the name of Christ? But here, the Apostle Paul was able to tell them joyfully that it has been a benefit to the praetorian guard, an area which he would never have had an opportunity to influence otherwise, that they were literally chained to him and they were not able to, to escape without hearing the gospel. But it also had been a benefit for the people of God as a whole. Most of the brothers and sisters in the church of Rome had been given new confidence by the apostle Paul's chains. In Paul, they were able to see the natural outcome for one who was a Christian. While he was chained, the gospel was unchained. And this let them know that the gospel has power. And this brings us to our third point, fellow believers unchained. The opponents of Paul thought that they had taken everything away from him for daring to share the gospel. And normally this should have terrified the Philippian church. This should have terrified the church in Rome, those Christians who visited Paul from time to time. But what did they see in the Apostle Paul? What they saw was the fact that all, of his opponents had, that all that his opponents had taken away was any barrier that could keep him from speaking. In fact, his opponents were backed into a corner. What more can I take from him to get this guy to be quiet? It's already gone. I can't take anything more from him. And yet he keeps on preaching. Should they maybe take his life? Well, the Apostle Paul says later in this letter, if they were to take that, that would be gain. His very chains became a reason for rejoicing for the whole church of Rome and the whole Philippian church. How can you stop such a man? Realizing This truth now encourages believers in general in Paul's sphere of influence in Rome to do the same. It has given them a dawning realization and they have begun to act on it. Paul's chains, the very thing that should have struck fear into their hearts gave them courage because they saw how it allowed allowed the gospel to be unchained. And once you have such men with that force behind them, when they realize the power of the gospel can be stopped by nothing because it has the power of Jesus Christ behind it, how can you stop one such man? How can you stop ten such men, a hundred such men? What a witness for Christ. Everything could be taken from these believers in Rome now and these believers in Philippi And yet, that would just mean that nothing more could be taken. What their opponents thought would break them down has actually resulted in the removal of barriers. They see that Paul is still able to rejoice and find strength in Christ when everything is taken away. And so they too... Are encouraged to look to Christ and be assured that they too will be able to find that same strength in their hour of need. Paul's chains had set them free because the gospel was behind it. There is nothing left that could stop them anymore from sharing the gospel. And that's how the gospel is unchained in the second way. All their hesitations were released. Was he, could he maybe be worried about his reputation? What would other people think? Well, that was already taken from him. They knew who he was. They knew who he followed. That barrier was removed. And so, beloved, we too can be emboldened by the chains of the Apostle Paul. We too can be emboldened because we can see the power that lies behind these chains. That rich gospel message. That firm confidence in a savior who will never leave us, savior who will never abandon us even in our darkest hours. When you run into someone who does not fear for you to take away all of his possessions, who values his relationship with with God, and who values your eternal soul more than all the treasures and relationships in the world, and who thinks that even to die is gain, what more can you do to such a person? The gospel is unchained. And as the gospel is unchained, this world will be free to hear of the love of God. This world will be free to hear of a Savior who has come in response to the darkness in this world, and that there is no other name under heaven by which they can be saved. On hearing the unchained gospel, they too can be set free. So, beloved, let us not see suffering, sorrow, or even opposition to the gospel as reasons for fear and disappointment. Rather, let us rejoice. Rejoice that we can find strength in our hour of need, come running to Christ. Let us rejoice that even as we experience the effects of sin in this world, the gospel remains unchanged, unchanged. Let us rejoice that as we ourselves find this strength in our hours of need, we'll become living witnesses of the power of God. We become reflections of his glory. And so, beloved, let us pray to God. Let us pray to God for boldness. Let us pray to him for an assurance found within the gospel alone. Let us pray for increasing strength. Day by day, let us pray to God for compassion on this dark world so that even in our suffering we could share our hope. And let us pray that he would equip us and seek to use us as instruments. To God alone be the glory. Amen.